idolatry. We think that it is limited to foreign, exotic lands where we see people bowing down before gold-plated statues and figurines, but this is not the case. When we make other things the center of our lives, the things that give our life meaning and fulfillment other than the living God, we become idolaters. We might not kneel before an image in a pagan temple, but we are down on our knees before a false god in our heart. We are working through the culminating book of the scripture, the book of Revelation. Our study leader leads us in this lesson into Revelation chapter 19. It's the great vision of Jesus riding into history to do battle with the Antichrist, riding on a white horse. We need to bow before this all-powerful Jesus. But as Dave introduces our lesson, he shares honestly about some of the false gods who have raised themselves up in his life. Even John the Apostle is tempted into idolatry in this passage. So none of us can think we are beyond this temptation. Let's join Dave as he warns us about the subtle dangers of idolatry. The Apostle John has been the one that in chapters Revelation 2 and 3, he warned against idolatry. He warned against being seduced into giving your ultimate allegiance to someone or something other than Christ. And I want you to think about who you give your allegiance to, who you give your worship to. And I want you to realize that every single one of us, as I've been teaching the book of Revelation, one of the major ideas that we've been trying to get across to you is every one of you are built for that. I'm built for it, you're built for it. You're built, for example, to go to the University of Texas or to go to A&M and for you to stand up and cheer for your school and if you go to those schools, you'll develop a spirit and you can go to Baylor, you can go to you know, John Brown University, whatever school you go to. And one of the things they'll try to do is to get you to express praise for your school, to express adoration for your school, to get excited about your school. Because we're built for that. I look back over my own life. There was a time when I, I worshipped athletics. I lived for athletics. It's what made me important. It's what gave me credentials. It's what gave me a hearing and what I thought were my peers. Remember the times of my life where, man, for me to live was to be able to play ball really effectively. Maybe that's where some of you are today. Nothing wrong with playing ball. Nothing wrong with having a great time in athletics. Something eternally damning wrong with worshiping that as your ultimate ground of your life. I remember another time in my life where I worshipped academic credentials. Where for me to live was, man, to be able to say, man, I make straight A's. And when I walk around a campus, boy, people know who I am because I've got an intellect on top of my shoulders. And I can really do some things that a lot of other people can't do. And I hold my life together by saying that internal phrase, Dave Wurtson makes really great grades. How about you? Do you remember a time when you worshipped that? Nothing wrong with making good grades. In fact, boys, we've been telling our kids from the time they were little, come on, you need to make good grades. And a lot of you moms and dads join us in that, right? But there's something really wrong when your life holds together because of good grades. Instead of it being offered as a gift to the ultimate giver of our talents and our skills, when we worship our own intellect, it becomes demonic and devilish. What do you worship today? I remember my brother, you know, for a time in my brother's life, he worshipped music. 
And he had an incredible talent. Maybe that's where some of you are today. You say, man, I, I long to be able to go to Nashville. I know that some of the, this senior class has some really gifted country artists. And so they might be saying, not that those young people are saying this, but it's possible they could be saying, for me to live is, I want to go to Nashville. And I want to be able to get in one of those recording studios. And I want to be able to get in there with a great rhythm section and a great electric guitar section and a great acoustical guitar player. And man, I want to be able to go right to the top of the charts. That's what I live for. Life would be fulfilled. Life would be complete if I could only do that. And they're saying, for me to live is a career in Nashville. Nothing wrong with a career in Nashville and trying to represent the King of Kings in a city that really needs the King of Kings. Something, nothing wrong with music, nothing wrong with country and classical and rock and jazz and all the different sounds and rhythms the Lord's given us, but something really wrong when we get down our face and worship those things. How about you today? The Lord's really impressed upon me like he often does. David, don't race through this book. Every word that I've shared is important for the body of Christ. And as we've been coming through the book of Revelation, John has been our hero. He's been my hero. How about you? Don't you think John the Apostle is an incredible guy? Here he's in his 90s. So the Apostle John, if he walked in this door, he could call every single one of you in this room son and daughter. He'd pat you on the head. He had you all beat. And what I want all of you to understand is that John in his 90s is still going strong for God. This is when he did his greatest work. This book of Revelation is the culmination of all the streams of Scripture. It's the high point of the revelation of God. And John the Apostle wrote it in his 90s. So if you're getting up there in age in the body of Christ, I want you to realize your most creative, your most productive, your most impactful, powerful time in the body of Christ might be during your 90 to 100 years. So hang strong. But I also want you to notice that prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, the Lord I love, doesn't end when you're 70 or when you're 80 or when you're 90. It doesn't end when you're 50 or when you're 40. It's kind of the, the incessant problem of the human heart. Because look what John does. He just received this incredible revelation from the Lord and about the destruction of, of Babylon, this mighty materialistic city. He is about to receive the revelation of the great white horseman who conquers the ultimate thing that Satan can do in bringing the Antichrist and the false prophet to their knees. But just before he gets this great revelation of the white horseman, John the Apostle is sucked into idolatry again. He gets sucked into the very thing that he's been, he's been arguing against the whole book. Look what it says. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Here's a great prophet, a great apostle, the Apostle John, and he has just been commissioned to write one of the greatest messages. Tell God's people about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then look what it says, that this I fell at his feet to worship him. John starts to worship an angel. Now you might have been touched by an angel. And you might think angels are really special, and they are. In fact, every one of you, I believe, has a host of angels. In fact, some of our children and our young people, I know that the Lord, I have a special revelation, the Lord's given about 50,000 angels to take care of every one of them because they're, they're so prone to disaster. No, I'm just kidding you a little bit. But the Lord does teach that we shouldn't harm one of these little children because their guardian angels are watching over them. Incredible truth. 
So angels are precious ministers of, of the supernatural king of the universe. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that angels are the, are the winds of the spirit of God and the servants of God. And they're going out into all of creation administering the great ultimate king's rule. So angels are real. Angels are important. But angels are never to be worshipped. You see, John Philly, he saw this revelation of an angel and in this vision he's getting a little glimpse of what heaven's like and the radiating whiteness, the incredible glory, the incredible wonder of an angelic being just drive him to his knees and he, and he worships this angel. You know, in your own life as you go through, you're going to have some temptations at times, maybe some powerful experiences. And you're going to be tempted to bow before someone other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you don't remember anything, I want all of you to learn that we only bow, we only give our ultimate allegiance, we only say, for me to live is, and the only blank we put in there is for me to live is Christ. You say, Dave, why do you say that? Because a real angel, not some conception of an artist, not some storyteller on TV, but a real angel, who actually had a real prophet down on his knees before him. Look what this angel says. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do it. You can just see the angel being abrupt and strong. I'm just a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Some of you wonder, like, why do we believe Jesus is God? Why do we believe that, that the scripture refers to him as God? Because look at this expression. We just had an entire text, and we're moving into some major texts that tell the whole universe to get flat on their faith before the white horseman, before Jesus, the King of kingdom, Lord of lords. If you want an argument for the deity of Christ, here it is. The angels saying, don't worship me. I'm just a servant. I'm just a fellow member of those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. You need to worship God. And in the rest of the book of Revelation, the Son is included with the Father, included with the Spirit, and the whole universe is invited to bow before them. One of the most important things I can get across to you is only God, only God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, deserves for you to be flat on your face, in your heart, giving your total allegiance to them alone. That's what's going to set you free. I want to ask you today, what are you bowing before? What do you get down on your knees before? You say, man, I don't, some of you say, man, I don't get down on my knees before anything. Yes, you do. What it really means to get down on your knees is, is it's what's happening inside of you. What you just say, this is what I live for. Some of you are getting down on your knees before a six-pack of beer, or maybe two or three of them. You say, hey, I never worship that stuff. Oh, yeah, you do. You get up early in the morning and you start dreaming about that drink. You think of a hard day at work. You think about struggling through a day and you're thinking, man, I just, boy, a few more hours here and I can get off of work and I can make that quick stop at a convenience store and I can get that stuff. And then I can get in my lazy boy or get in my couch and I can start drinking it down and I'll forget all of my problems. You are worshiping the spirits of alcohol. Nothing wrong with alcohol in itself. Put it on a cut, great anesthetic. That's one thing I did learn in a great antiseptic. That's one thing I learned in chemistry. If you're going to have, a, if you're going to have an operation and you're out in some jungle somewhere and all you can find is a great big liter of wine, drink the whole thing. 
before the surgeon operates on you. That's what the scripture says. It's a great anesthetic. If you're having a wedding and you want to celebrate, you're going to have real moderation. You're going to be very Jewish about it. You're going to celebrate the wedding. Wine is very much a part of, a, of the marriage of Cain of Galilee. But if you ever get down on your knees and worship it, which is a great danger in our culture, if you ever get on your knees and say, man, this is, what, this is what I look forward to. This is what I live for. This is what's going to hold my life together. Then it's become an idol. And I believe this angel's reaching down to you today and he's shaking you by the shoulder and pulling you up and says, don't let this control your life. Because I love you. It's going to slowly leak the air out of your life. It's going to totally destroy you. We've been studying the book of Revelation about materialism, about Babylon. As I've been teaching you, the Lord's been gripping my own heart. It's how easily I start to have meaning in my life by the things that I possess and by living in the United States of America and enjoying all the privileges of the American dream. Nothing wrong with that dream. Something horribly wrong when I'm down on my knees before that dream. And the angel reaches in and says, get up, don't worship that. Don't worship that. It's idolatry. Worship God. Worship Jesus. Notice that it says, this is, this is the key point, the essence of what he's saying. It says, I want you to realize that I'm a fellow servant with you. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that's probably one of the most important statements in this whole book. What has Revelation been about? Revelation has been about the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? It is Jesus testifying to himself. Jesus came to this world and he says, I am the son of God. He made incredible statements like, like in my father's house, there's many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And man, if I go, I'm going to and prepare a room for you. I'm going to come and take you and I'm going to take you to live in my house forever and ever and ever. What other savior can talk like that? What other Savior can, can say, let him who can convict me of sin go ahead and speak it? Man, have I ever put it before a congregation, like some pastors are in congregation where you vote every year about whether the guy's going to stay with it. Can you imagine me going before you and saying, if any of you can convict me of sin, go right ahead. We could have a long confession meeting. I could never make that kind of a claim. You know, you can't be with me for 10 minutes without knowing that I blow it, that I sin just like you. But we have a Savior, Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is a testimony that's totally pure. It's totally consistent. It's totally clean. Never committed a sin. That's the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is that he chose, when he came before Pilate and he came before Herod, he chose not to defend himself. He chose to willingly do the will of the Father and he offered himself willingly as a sacrifice for our sins and he bore a good testimony before Pilate. When Pilate asked him, what is truth? Jesus was saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He bore a good testimony. Jesus is the truth. As Jesus hung on the cross, and he yelled, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he could have just cast himself into the arms of the father and his father, because of his great love, would have just immediately set his son free. But he was totally obedient, even obedient to giving his life on the cross. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus is true. Then on Easter morning, the testimony of Jesus was true. 
Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb as we often celebrate it on Easter and she's wailing and she's crying and she's heartbroken just the way you're going to be in life. If you haven't been heartbroken yet, you're going to be. Every single one of you are going to come to a time in your life where it just doesn't add up, where you're broken, where you're down, where you're just bawling your eyes out or maybe you're just so full of sorrow you can't even cry anymore. And Jesus walked into that garden and saw Mary Magdalene crying and he says to her, woman, Why are you crying? Why do you worship Jesus? Because every time that a pastor goes, like I come to you and I say, why are you crying? And you say, man, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where you've laid him. Often you say to me, they've taken away my loved one and they've died. And what do we have now? My life has ended. Some of you say, man, I just found out I have terminal cancer and I'm so scared and what's going to happen in my life and I'm so full of fear. Some of you say, man, I'm just so worried about my kids and they're growing up and they're going out and I'm not going to be able to protect them the way I've been able to. And and I'm just so full of trembling and despair about life. There's not another savior in all of the universe that's ever lived that can just speak your name. He says, Mary, Mary. And your fears can be taken away. Your fears can be met. That's why we worship Jesus. This is a real battle. As the men were having prayer meeting today, the testimony of Jesus was drilled home in my mind. One of the men shared, have you heard the news? Yesterday in the paper, there's a big squabble. There's a church family like ours that believes in Jesus and believes that Jesus died on the cross and believes in the resurrection. And they reached out to a Jewish boy. And the Jewish boy, in studying it and thinking about it, came to know Jesus as his Savior. His parents are up in arms about it. And now the whole community is up in arms about it and and the Jewish community is retaliating and saying, how can you be so anti-Semitic and how can you ever talk like this? How could you ever take a teenager and invite them to believe in Jesus and get someone not to be Jewish? And in our pluralistic, rationalistic society, that sounds so with it. Of course, we want Jews to be Jews, and we want Christians to be Christians, we want Islamic people to be Islamic people, and what I want you to realize is that I'll go to the stake, I'll give my life for the freedom of a Jew to be a Jew, and I'll give my life for the freedom of an Islamic person to be an Islamic, and for a Christian to be a Christian, and I'll give my life for the free, the free dissemination of ideas and truth and reality. Just think about what I just said. Here's a Jewish family that's saying that a boy has ceased to be Jewish. And he's done a horrible thing because he believed in Jesus, the Savior. That's where our society is. It's a horrible thing that a Jewish child would believe in Jesus. And the whole implication of that is Jesus has nothing to do with Jewish people. He's a Gentile thing. Jesus has nothing to do with that part of the population. They have their Moses. They have their Torah. They have their Ten Commandments. Man, you don't have to read this book very long before you realize that's a lie. That is a lie that's a lie. And brothers and sisters, I want you to see the testimony of Jesus is so important for you to take out into the world this week. Why? Because Jesus is Jewish. Jesus was born of a Jewish mom. He obeyed all the Jewish laws. In fact, there's not another Jew alive. There's not another Jew that ever lived that totally obeyed the law of Moses. Not only obeyed it from the external angle, but he obeyed it from every intent, every single 
intention that God the Father had in the Ten Commandments, Jesus fulfilled it all. He is the ultimate Jew. The real Jesus said, if you would have believed Moses, you'll believe me. He says, Abraham believed me. Abraham looked forward to seeing my day, and he actually, by the eyes of faith, saw my day, and he rejoiced. So Abraham is in heaven today because he looked forward to the anointed one who eventually became Jesus of Nazareth. Brothers and sisters, you've been raised with that information all of your life, but I got news for you. Those are fighting words. Not fighting words with swords and pistols and guns right now, but they lay down the gauntlet. Jesus is the Messiah for Jewish people. Jesus is the Messiah for Islamic people. Muhammad didn't come till 600 years after Christ. There weren't explicit sacrifices that told where Muhammad would be born, that told what he would do in his life, and how he would heal blind eyes, and how he would raise dead people, and how he would cause lame people to walk. There's no, there's no predictive prophecy to minute details like that in the Quran that you can go back and take ancient manuscripts that objectively I've actually had those, those photocopies of Qumran scrolls in my hand. I've actually worked with the Isaiah scroll that gives explicit information about my Savior at least 250 years before he was born in Bethlehem. There's none of that in Islam. So you're going to have to decide. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of all the prophecy, of all the revelation we've received from God, what the book of Revelation is trying to get across to you in a pluralistic society, there's only one Son of God who's come into this world. There's only one name given among men whereby we might be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there was no other name under heaven given among men except the name of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I don't want you ever to use any tricks to try to get a child to believe in Jesus. And I don't want you ever to bowl someone's intellect and just use your, your intelligence to try to get the truth across. And I don't want you ever to cut off free discussion and the, the opportunity to ask questions. I'm going to go on record by telling you from the depth of my heart, it's about one thing. It's about Jesus. Because I'm a daddy. And I want my kids to be with me forever and ever and ever. And I want them to be totally forgiven. And I want them to have the incredible love that only Jesus can give. Why do I believe in Jesus? Because he's the ultimate source of purity and cleanliness and forgiveness and healing and power. The ultimate source of love. Our culture worships love. Well, I stand before you as a daddy that has four kids who love me. They love me because of Jesus. Last night as we're blessing the graduates, Josh asked for prayer and his request was, I just really need you to pray because I need to introduce my dad tonight. And I feel like, man, what's the big deal about that? Man, everyone introduces me. Who cares? He just broke down and cried and says, how can I introduce my dad? the greatest guy that I know. The greatest man that I know. You know what? I don't need any PhDs. I don't need anything. I could go to glory right now. That's like an old Walton's rerun. <laughs> That's Jesus. Jesus is the author of that. 
Jesus is the one that gave that explosive ability inside of Josh to be able to pour out a blessing, to be able to pour out love. So when an angel, especially a demonic false angel of light, says, worship this, when he takes you up on the high mountain and says, worship this, remember this, the testimony of Jesus, Jesus' testimony to the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit. It's the heartbeat from Genesis to Revelation. You want to know what this book is about? It's about Jesus. 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 Jesus is the spirit. The spirit of God, the spirit of the Father, become flesh, and he lives in our midst. It's all about him. Father, we just ask you, Lord, that you would protect us from idolatry. I pray that you would protect us from false worship. Lord Jesus, we need you to testify in every heart right now. We need you to be the one who speaks. We need to be you the one that breaks the power and enslavement of sin. We need you to be the comfort to those that are emotionally distraught today. We need you to bring healing to those that are troubled and full of despair. Lord, we need you to bring forgiveness into hearts that don't have any forgiveness, that are filled with hurt and hate, and they feel wounded because someone that they loved has deeply hurt them. Lord, we need Jesus to testify to their hearts so that we can join you in saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, we want the spirit of Jesus to not just be the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of every word of scripture. But Lord, as we leave this auditorium today, we want the Lord Jesus to be the spirit of our lives. That everyone that we meet will know that we've spent time with Jesus, that they'll see it in the way we talk, the way we live, the way that we love. Thank you so much we've been able to remember you today. And we look forward to the incredibly powerful things you're going to do as lives are transformed because the testimony of Jesus truly is the spirit of prophecy. It's the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.